Welcome to Founder Stories, the podcast. During these special mini episodes, Elizabeth Clark, Director of Education and Experience at Adelsheim Vineyard, will sit down one-on-one with David Adelsheim to hear about his experience interviewing his friends, recounting the last 50 years, and finding out how he thinks it all turned out. Hi, I'm Elizabeth Clark. After listening to the first episode of Founder Stories, I realized these interviews between friends were really more of conversations about memories that defined their careers, moments that brought the industry together, and even discussing some of the challenges of starting an industry. Let's go behind the scenes and hear more stories from this legendary founder. Hi, David. Elizabeth, what am Sitting out on the lawn with you. I know. In March. In March. And it is very toasty. Yes. Um, Particularly with a heavy coat on. Well, yes. But, you know, one cool breeze and all of a sudden... It'll be gone. It's just... I'm going to be shivering right here. Gone with the sun like on Sunday. (sighs) Or gone with the wind. There you go. We could make a movie. We, you know, I like this banter. I really do. Um, but it is March. But we, but we do have something to do. We do. We, we do. And I, I know you're very busy, so I don't want to take up your entire day as much as I would love to. But it is March, and March is the month of the official release of your Pioneer interviews, your founders' videos. Um, so I think it would be fantastic to hear what you had to say about all of these videos to really get an idea of, um, of kind of your perspective behind interviewing some of your peers and your friends. So what was one of your favorite moments of interviewing Diana Lett? Who knows? I mean, in reality, I had no idea what it would mean to do interviews. I mean, I've been interviewed hundreds of hundreds, times. Hundreds, yeah. Thousands, even. No, probably not. But whatever the number is. But I've always been on that side of the mic. So I had to start figuring out what the skill set was supposed to be of Mm -hmm. doing an interview. I mean, a little like what you're having to do today. Right. But the videos still all look so authentic. Like you were just having a conversation. It doesn't look chopped up Mm -hmm. or, yeah. No, I mean, that's the smart part of talking to them beforehand is a number of them really spent a lot of time thinking about this in advance. And you can tell with Diana that, I mean, she even says it, that there was a lot involved in going back and reliving this, and uh, it was not all easy. Right. So So, did you find your way um, through interviewing the other pioneers? Did you find your way as a storyteller, or... Um, did you kind well, of find I was your trying, focus? I was it? trying not to be the storyteller. Okay. Yeah, I mean, the goal was for them to be the storyteller and me to prompt them. Mm-hmm. For everybody, I wanted to get into the time before I knew them. I mean, I, I met all of them in the 70s, but you never ask your friends, so what was it like growing up in Pittsburgh or what, whatever, right. whatever the thing is? It was odd, but a lot of fun to be able to ask these questions. Yeah, well, there's a lot to to celebrate. And before this bottle gets too warm in this beautiful March sun, I think we should just toast to... We could do that. We we should toast to all the success. Um, And with our our 50th anniversary coming up, I mean, we're going to have a lot of people coming by to visit us throughout the, the entire year. And when a lot of people come by to visit us um, at the winery, they often say, 
that they're so impressed by the camaraderie, by the partnerships, by the relationships that were built here throughout the years. Do you ever find that, or did you ever find that you were ever in competition? Or was it always just building oh, the valley so, yeah, together? You're always in competition. And at least I, and I think many of the others, always looked for ways to collaborate. I mean, if somebody, if, if something is happening, let's say we're doing a dinner at our house for an importer mm -hmm. from Mexico City, let's say. Well, the first thing I'm going to ask is, who else do you import? We should have them at the dinner too to make sure that everybody has a chance to interact. And I think, I know I've always done that. I'm sure there's some people whose first thought is not necessarily that, but collaboration has, is why Oregon and the Willamette Valley in particular is where it is on the world stage. And this is getting even warmer. Yes, so cheers. Cheers, Cheers yes. to your 50th. Best way to celebrate is always with bubbles. Things could always be worse. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in, in doing these videos, what's interesting to see is what common elements get brought up by people. Uh, collaboration certainly comes up, and I specifically asked a number of people, how did that happen, and what was your role in making that happen? And in essence, Diana, and particularly David Lett, probably wasn't super collaborative. He wasn't against it, but he he was a more private person in some respects. And so he would include us often because we were good friends. Um, but his first thought wasn't, how many people can we include? And when I asked Diana about collaboration, she moved it to a different place. It's, it, it, in the video, she talks about luck and pluck. Um, and I think that that was her way and probably their way of viewing this, that the collaboration happened and they were the beneficiaries and sometimes the, the instigators of it. But others like Chuck Corey, who was often an impossible person one-on-one, -on -one, really understood that the industry needed to worked together to do research. He really wasn't around long enough uh, as an, a winery owner to understand th that we needed to do the same thing in marketing. But David Lett and Dick Ponzi and I did, I believe, two trips to New York City where we talked to groups and in one case did a 10-year vertical, that is 30 wines, for wine writers in an upstairs private dining room at Lydia Bastianovich's restaurant. And these people would come to three wineries doing a tasting. They might not have showed up for one winery doing it. Right. And I, I don't know who instigated that, frankly, but we were all into it. And it obviously it happened and was worthwhile because we were all into it. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Now there was one point in the video that really struck me and it was towards the end of the video and the picture of all the men. Yeah, yeah. No, everybody okay. talks about that. And I mean, it, 
obviously I was in the picture, but I don't remember what was going on that day. And I certainly don't remember what Diana said was when the photographer asked everybody to uh, get ready for the photographer and then added, well, just the, the winemakers, the men. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, in the video with Diana, I, I basically was shaking my head and saying, that's pathetic. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, part of it is that was 50 years ago or 40-something years ago, and the role of women in the wine business, whether at that level or any place else, was hugely different, Mm -hmm. and in society for that matter. I mean, it's not something that any man should look back on with pride, but it is where we were in the early 70s was still more attached to the past than to the future about Mm -hmm. that. And I remember one of the first days that I started at Adelsheim, I sat down with you and my immediate supervisor, and one of your questions to me was, how can we help you, a young female in the wine industry, succeed? And that has just resonated through my five, almost five years now uh, at Adelsheim. So what, um, I think my question is, what piece of advice do you have for the next generation that's trying to make wine more diverse and inclusive? What kind of uh, advice can you give them? I don't I don't know that I have any advice except anybody who is interested in wine can succeed in the wine business. Some of it is finding the niche that really makes sense for them. I mean, obviously you started off with us in the cellar mm-hmm. and have found this particular role for yourself that I think you're happy with and seems to make sense yeah. and you're really good at. Um, but it wasn't the first thing that you did. Mm-hmm. And I think the good news is that the number of young women coming into the wine business, yes, white young women, but also non-white young women, is increasing. And I think the wine business, at least a lot of parts of it is trying to be as welcoming as it can be to the idea of these people being part of what we do. I, I, the number of winemakers that are women now is, isn't zero like it once was. It's not 50% yet, but it's, it's it, in, in companies like Jackson Family, half the winemakers in Oregon are women. And in the company, it's got to be close to that. Young people with talent who believe in themselves and, and want to have a future in the wine business are stepping up. And I don't think wineries can make that happen per se, but they certainly can be encouraging and welcoming and willing to adjust how the company works to fit the people that are that seem to have talent that want to work there. Excellent. That's always great to hear because I know Adelsheim has done a great job of making sure that the, the right people are in the right roles and making sure that we can succeed as a company. So I think that's really encouraging. And I think I have one last question for you, David. And this is one that has been bothering me since my first day at Adelsheim. Uh-huh. Yes. We're celebrating our 50th anniversary. You have seen millions and millions of grapes can you ever eat a normal table grape? 
Oh, every now and then I do. Okay. Yeah, I mean, we don't have, I mean, Eugenia and I sort of twice a year will buy a, a, a bag of table grapes. Um, and it's sort of the first half is kind of a reminder, and it's got to be far away from our harvest. Mm-hmm. If it was during our harvest, uh, yeah, yeah, that would be all. <laughs> Never again. No. Yeah. But, I mean, buying Chilean grapes in the middle of winter, it's kind of a fun break. Mm-hmm. But often the last grapes kind of rot before we get to them. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's an interesting question, actually, because, um, yeah, during, in the run-up to harvest, we're sampling grapes Every day, we're out in the vineyard tasting things, trying to understand, and particularly nowadays with global warming and the the window of opportunity being narrowed down to which half day do you pick in mm-hmm. to get the right balance between not so ripe and yet ripe enough, yep. which is, is now a super critical part if we're going to hang on to any part of our past in the Willamette Valley where we didn't make unctuous, overripe wines. Um, so it's, it's a lot of grapes. But, I mean, I don't know that I've ever thought to myself when I'm tasting grapes out in the field, oh, I can't taste another. I mean, it's part of business. Right. I mean, it's what you do. It's a lifestyle at that yeah. point. Yeah. It's so nice to be here at Quarter Mile Lane in your backyard 10 feet plus away from the vines. It's a great way to start a a March day. Yeah. Thank you so much, David, for sitting down with me and and talking about your first video with Diana Lett. And I'm sure we're going to do this again very, very soon. Okay. Sounds cool. Cheers to you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Founder Stories, the podcast. This episode was produced by Adelsheim Vineyard in partnership with House Below Productions. New episodes are released monthly, and you can find them on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Visit our website, adelsheim.com slash 50 years, to watch full interviews of David Adelsheim with the other founders of the Willamette Valley wine industry. And join us as we pay homage to half a century of lofty dreams, pioneering spirits, and world-class wine.